Welcome to the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back again for part two of our season previews of the Cowboys and the Canberra Raiders with Andrew Scanlon. Now, part one, we obviously did the Cowboys. Part two, we've got the Raiders right now, so we're going to continue on the conversation on the Canberra Raiders. Andrew, the Canberra Raiders for this season. Now, when we're having a look at them, they ended up making the eight last year, which I don't think a lot of people thought that they would. Their gains and losses, I think, is a little bit like the Cowboys, which is, you know, a little bit boring. I don't think there's a huge amount to talk about with the Raiders and the changes that they've had. Game Danny Levi, who's apparently going to get game time, and Solo from the Knights, who may not get any game time, but that's really about it as far as who might make the 17. Losses, uh, Hodgson is gone, but he sort of fell off. Um, Nickel Clockstart a, a couple of years ago would have been a big loss, but he wasn't, you know, getting the starting fullback job anymore done. Adam Elliott was probably their biggest loss, but he'd only been there momentarily as well. But certainly they've probably lost more than what they've actually gained. I'm still pretty similar on the Raiders. I, I think they're kind of looking at a similar type of season, but I guess when you have a look at it, they've probably lost a little bit more. Uh, Ryan Sutton as well to the Bulldogs. He was a good bench forward for them or fringe guy that they could bring on and do a job. So I think they're a bit lighter when they're coming into this year and certainly they've signed hardly anyone. So, you know, they have to be. Yeah, exactly. And there's no, there'd be no surprise if um, both Solo and Levi, their two additions, just don't get a spot in that 17 and we don't see them this season. So, um, yeah, definitely more losses than gains, that's for sure. And we're going to be seeing a very similar lineup than we did last year and expecting a very similar season. Yeah, and what that does, I mean, when you look, look at those gains and say, well, none of them are going to get the 17, you go through and you say, well, Hodgson would have been in the 17, Elliot would have been in the 17, um, CMK was on the bench a bit, but, you know, Ryan Sutton was on the bench a bit. But those are still three or four spots in the 17 that are now going to be up for grabs for others or at least minutes for others. And that's what's going to be interesting, I think, with the Canberra Raiders season and certainly the start of the season. Uh, look, I've got them penciled in from anywhere from 7 to 12, and that's kind of my range. It's a pretty big range, but I think with Canberra, it's a little bit hard to tell. Where have you got them penciled in for their sort of range and where you think they might finish at? Exactly the same. I've got them about 8 to 12, um, simply due to um, the number of very poor teams uh, this year. So, um, yeah, 8 to 12 spot, and I, I think that's going to be pretty accurate, to be honest. Well, let's have a quick look at the draw. So... The draw is not as good as the Cowboys. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably the best way to put it. Uh, they have a buy in round eight. So they are going to play the first major buy. And after round eight, they don't have another one until round 16. So, again, one of these sides at the back third of the season, round 16 and round 20 buys just really kill them. But only round eight buy. It's a little bit tricky because you know, round eight, it's after seven weeks of footy, you've got to either decide to sell or, or keep them. And I think that you're going to have to keep them because you're going to have that major buy round that the Canberra Raiders are going to play. So you just got to make sure you end up getting that round eight because you're probably going to want to keep some of these Raiders for that, that major buy round. But when you're looking at the teams that first couple of months of footy, they don't have as many home games as what you'd hope. Um, they've actually got more away games. So the first two weeks are away. They hit the Cowboys, which isn't great going up to Townsville for them. Then they hit the Dolphins away. So at least they're in Queensland. Maybe they'll go into camp for that two-week period or something. I don't know. 
Um, but the Dolphins game will, will obviously be a, bit, be a bit easier for them, but it's still a fair bit of travel. Then they hit the Sharks, and that's at home, which will help them, and they hit the Knights away. The three out of the four first games are actually going to be away from Geo Stadium. But in saying that, two out of those four, the Knights and also the Dolphins, you'd say, pretty good opposition. Uh, then you look at the second half, and they've really only got three weeks there, obviously, because they got the round out by, but they hit the Panthers is going to be at home in round five. Uh, that's a tough game. Broncos, a little bit easier, good scoring game potentially, but they're going to play that in Suncorp. Then they do get the Dragons at home, though, and the Dragons at home is going to be a stellar game before that bye. So, Andrew, I guess you could probably say in that first seven weeks, they've got three pretty juicy matchups uh, and a couple of uh, real harder ones, but the lack of GIA games is a bit of a concern. Uh, but after that bye, they do open up a little bit. They do have you know, the Dolphins, the Dogs, the Eels, the Seagulls, the Rabbits, the Tigers the Warriors before their next buy. So certainly looks like it's a good hold for those Canberra Raiders. I guess you could say, Andrew, the draw is okay for Supercoach. It's a bit up and down. Um, yeah, I guess okay at best. Like I, I don't like their lack of um, home games at the start of the season. And what, what really bugs me about um, the Raiders' season as a whole is they don't really have that stretch of um, of favourable games. It's always um, interrupted by either a buy round or, or a game or two against a difficult opponent. So, um, you know, when you look, obviously we're talking about the, the backs and, and the halves here, but um, it's really difficult to actually hold any of those backs through any of those periods really, isn't it? Because they're almost guaranteed to produce a, a disappointing score from time to time. Um, and yeah, like uh, from what I can see, they've only got about maybe three opponents in a row that are favourable at, at any given point, and that's the best-case scenario. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't like the season from a super coach perspective, but I suppose that's more weighing towards the backs. It's, it's obviously a different story when it comes to their forwards, which in my eyes, um, the, the Raiders forwards are more super coach relevant than the backs. Yeah, the forwards are always going to be the value for the Raiders. So look, let's start to talk about them. When we're looking at the guns for them, Joe Tappany has to come first on the list, 66.5 points per game last year. That means he comes in at almost $700,000, 699,500. Dual front row forward, second row forward, so he's going to be pretty valuable as a front row forward, but that dual also adds something extra for him. He had a breakout year. There's no other way around it. I've owned Joe Tappany so many different times over the years, even back to his Newcastle days, because his base attack with his offloads and tackle breaks was always fantastic. Last year, he put it all together with a career year, 66 points a game, 52 raw base, 13 base attack. When you combine that, he's getting 65 points per game between his runs, tackles, offloads and tackle breaks. And it was just, it was gold as a front rower. A few little things that are concerning though, he's at 23% ownership at the moment. So obviously no one's getting scared off by the price tag. And look, he was an absolute beast last year. Yeah, when you're having a look at how well he scored, um, the middle third of the season, he scored 80 points a game. Rounds 19 to 26, he scored 66 points per game. You know, he was a very, very good player for those coaches that stuck with him. The start of the season is my concern. And, Andrew, this is where I think it falls apart a little bit for round one to spend that type of cash on him. He scored 57 points per game in the first third of last season, rounds one to 10. And when you're unpacking that a little bit more, Really, he just he Ricky Stewart does that this a lot with Tappany. He just does this a lot with all these forwards. He's done it with Papa Lee before too. He doesn't get the minutes. And the first month of 2022, he averaged 44 minutes per game. 
And that first month was a 50.5 points per game average. He actually only went 50 plus in minutes just three times in his first 10 games. So that was why he had a 50, you know, 57 average. It's just one of those things where he ended up going to 57 minutes per game in that middle third of the season. That's really where it, where it came in for him. You know, if he's getting that extra 12 or 13 minutes from the start, the get-go, then he's going to be another gun again like he was last year. I guess you just got to bank on Ricky Stewart doing that. And for me, he's always one of those coaches where they've always got a lot of forwards at their disposal. And I always guess wrong when I'm guessing what he's going to do with the minutes to start the season. So I'm a bit worried about that. Yeah, and, and so you should be too, because um, it does certainly sound like a, a seasonal thing, doesn't it? And and I mean, look, that that could be just a total like total speculation, but um, in in the warmer weather, um, and with the depth that the Raiders have in their forward pack, um, you know, why risk big minutes with someone like Tappany, um, arguably one of their best players? So, um, I, I don't mind the ownership, to be honest. Um. Like, uh, it's it's totally justified, but at 700K with that uncertainty of minutes, that's where the big risk is. And, I mean, when he, when he does get going, obviously he's one of the um, you know, prime forwards to own um, if he can keep it up as well because at that price tag, if you are going to pick him up for 700K, you wanna, you're want you expecting big things out of him considering the people you can get for, you know, slightly less. Um, he's actually not in my team at the moment. I've gone with a different makeup, but... Um, I certainly can't blame those um, those that have. Um, but my big thing, actually, which is exactly what you said, was um, the uncertainty with the start of the season, mate. So he's he's going to be a miss for me at the start. Yeah, I'm not going to have him either. And for those reasons, I, I believe Ricky Stewart will give him less minutes. You know, he, he's got an average of 51 minutes a game in 2022. But realistically, he's, his big output was when he was averaging 57 plus minutes a game. And, and that's what you want him to have. Uh, but certainly there is a case that, if you believe in him, if you think it was a breakout year and, you know, at 28 years of age, he's now in his prime. If you think that Ricky Stewart's just going to give him the minutes from up front, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have him because round 12 to 25, he only had three games, he didn't go 70 plus. And he, he was just pumping out 70s and 80s and 90s like clockwork. It was just really easy for him and really hard as a non-owner. And at front row forward, he solidified himself, certainly for the second half of the season, as the best front row forward option by a mile. So if you believe that he's just going to hit the ground running and do that, then it makes total sense to spend 700K because you could even argue that he's slightly undervalued. You could say that, you know, he's 66 is going to be a 72 to 75 range. He's got that range in him. And if he does that from the start, well, you've got massive value there is there, but you have to bank on that. And I just can't, I, I just think that he's not going to get the minutes. So, I'm going to stay away. I think that he is a good buy, though. I understand why people are jumping on, and, and it could work out really well, and there could be really good value there. I expect him to be, Andrew, probably one of the top, if not the best, and certainly top three front row forward options at the end of the year. Couldn't agree more, mate. I think you're spot on. And, and yeah, there's not really much else to say about him, hey? So, um, yeah, good luck to those who start with him. And for those of us who don't, then, um, yeah, I hope he just... Um, it does get limited minutes and we can pick him up later on in the season. Yeah, his base attack just killed me when I don't own him. So it's going to be a hard watch when he throws those <laughs> like five offloads and eight tackle break games and stuff. It's um, it's very, very scary to watch and he just seems to be in everything. So tough one, but Fogarty, he, uh, he came to the Raiders to be their starting halfback and he did not disappoint. He actually didn't get to start until round 12, ended up averaging 63 points per game. Solid base of 25, not great. Base-base attack was only 32, but he ended up being their goal kicker. 
and that's where a lot of the value came from. So, yeah, we have to talk about him because even though he's in a halfback spot that I don't think you can put him in, um, they had very few guns at the Canberra Raiders, and this happens to them quite a bit. You know, because of that, Foggy was one of the top few players as far as supercoach averages go. Certainly if you discount his first couple of games in a Raiders jersey, um, his average is even better because he came out and, aver- and hit 42 and 49 in his first two games and then really kind of found his feet, as did the Raiders. And certainly that run of games that they had to go into the finals, it, he was a big part of that, and I thought he played really well. For supercoach, Andrew, I said we've got to mention him because he is a gun at 63 points a game. 1% ownership sounds about right, 658,000. You should be picking just about every other sort of gun center, um, gun halfback instead of him. So I think that it makes sense that he's 1% owned and I think that people should be looking at the other options, right? Yeah, exactly. 1% too many. And, and uh, look, I, I really like um, Fogarty as a player. He's, he's quite an exciting player to watch, isn't he? But 658K is a lot to pay for someone like him. Um, as you said, goal kicking, massive plus. Although, like I said earlier, the Raiders don't really have that um, stretch of favourable games. So um, to leave that kind of coin on the bench when they do come up against the um, the, the bigger opponents, um, it's, it's just too much to ask for. So he's a solid miss for me. Yeah, I will have a look at him in drafts. So if all of your halfback options go off the board early, which inevitably always happens, and you want to wait for a bit of value, you can get Fogarty a little bit later. And he actually had some really solid scoring. Like he didn't have a lot of low scores because of the goal kicking. So, you know, he he could be really interesting in draft. The other big gun that they had, we've got under the big balls pod. That is because he scored 13 tries in 22 games Second for the Raiders, along with line breaks, he was second as well. And that was an edge back rower. So really funny. I'm fascinated by the narratives that we create as super coach players. You've got one guy in Nanai that scores, you know, a bunch of tries, one of the leading try scorers for his team, and everybody starts jumping on him. And you've got another guy in Hudson Young who kind of has the same type of game, but he's got a better base. And people just don't go near him. And the case for that is to be seen again at 11% ownership for Nanai and 2% ownership for Hudson Young. Hudson Young, 704000 So he's not cheap. He's coming off a 66.9 average, though, as I said. And that includes a 41 raw base, which for an edge back row you know, isn't the best, but it's not bad. And he's got a 14 base attack. So he's getting 55 points a game just between his base base attack. That's actually really good. Then when you have a look at his scoring, 13 tries in 22 games is massive. So for me, I was having a look at it. Six out of his 21 80-minute games, he went sub-50. It's a few there, but he was still going over 60 points, 55% of the time. But really, it's it's another compartmentalized season where you can say, look, he went in and he had a bit of a disrupted first couple of months, averaged 53 points per game, uh, and included some injuries as well. He missed a couple of games. But when he hit the ground running... The mid-season, he went 69 points a game between around 11 and 18, and he finished with an 81 average between 19 and 25. So he was one of the unsung heroes for me in Supercoach and also the Raiders season. I I really loved him last year. Um, Yeah, like Hudson Young, I I think people need to give serious thought to him, even though he is 704K. Um, For me, that kind of price tag scares me off, Um, you know, putting aside 
what we saw of him in previous seasons. He's certainly capable of um, producing the goods. And um, he's one that I'm going to be considering after the Raiders round eight buy. I think he's going to be a, a good pickup then. Um, I'm not expecting his price tag to change too much either. Um, but I suppose when you're looking at the starting side, um, like around the start of the season, um, and you look at the other options with 704K, you'd actually consider Hudson Young to be a slightly risky option, wouldn't you? Because um, that's, that's quite a lot of coin to invest in a player like Young. Um, uh, I certainly prefer to go elsewhere, but um, I don't know. There's, there's not really much to say about Hudson Young in my eyes. He's, he's just kind of too expensive from being to start the season, and I think I'll be um, putting him on my watch list. Yeah, uh, look, I, I actually toyed with getting him in because I really liked what I saw from him last year. He's, when you're looking at his career, his minutes are going up every year. So 2019 onwards, 45 minutes, 58 minutes, 68 minutes, 78 minutes. You know, he's coming into an 80-minute role for the first time. He's scoring average 40 points per game, 2019, 54 points per game, 61 points per game, 67 points per game. His PPM has been very consistent, and a PPM of close to 0.9 as an edge player is really good. Uh, so I, I like him. If he was 600K, people would think he's expensive, but I would actually be all over him. Um, at that 700 plus mark, he's kind of like Nanai, where it's just it's not quite worth the payment for somebody that we've only seen it from for one year. But I actually believe in Hudson Young being able to continue on because I just I think that we've seen it with his base that he can have a, a really quite a good base for an edge back rower in the second half of the year. We saw that plenty of times. Like he had a raw base of 58, 52 in a couple of games. He he's a real worker as well as a good attacking player. And I don't think the Raiders have other options, mate. So when you're looking at the comparison with Nanai, there's so many attacking options for that Cowboys side. For the Raiders, they often score in their forwards and, and he's one of their big attacking weapons. Yeah, exactly. And and, and let's um, keep in mind for those of you who aren't actually going to be starting with Hudson Young, it's not like he's going to produce these huge scores um, well beyond his worth. Like he's, he's 704K, he's not going to be scoring at like a eight 900K level. So um, as far as eliminating risk goes and, and kind of trying to manage your, your um, salary cap a bit better, it's certainly one you can miss out on um, and, and kind of feel at ease if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. He, he had four tons, 102, uh, 111, 112, and 125. But certainly, you know, two of those games where he scored a double. Uh, and like like Andrew said, you can wait and see with him. Uh, but he's not one, one of my number one targets for that month before the major buy. I'm going to be bringing him in after that Raiders buy. I think he's going to be one of the premium second-rate forward options for the big buy. And along with that as well in draft, I think he's going to be fantastic in draft and people will gra- gravitate towards the big names, but he'll be left on the board for draft and, and I actually quite like him. I'll be targeting him. So Hudson Young, loved him as a player last year. Massive balls pod, might work out for you. I, I'm going to wait and see and, and grab him for that buy for sure. Another big balls pod, the horse, Corey Horsburgh. Now, I'm going to surprise a lot of people by saying he's actually in my team right now. So <laughs> that's not I, surprising, mate. I, I've got to say, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad I got a little bit of support because um, I, I feel like people are going to rip me about this because he's about one percent owned. Um, but <laughs> I've been I've been a fan of the big horse forever. I've been waiting for him to get his opportunity. Um, so I'm going to sell him for everyone right now. He's a front row forward, second row forward. I've got him as my front row forward at the moment. He is meant to be starting at 13. So. I've only got him on the provision that he's named to start at 13. 
Um, but I'm buoyed by what I've seen from him in the past. At 505000 he's in that really nice range where he's cheap enough to put in there at front row forward to plug a hole where you don't want to spend. In his five 50-minute games, he averaged 60 points per game. And when you consider that Horsburgh's price tag is based off a 48 average last year, uh, that's 12 points of value right there, straight away as a front row forward that you can get for 500K. He was actually just over 60 points per game. But the thing that really buoyed me with Horsburgh is that the role that he's taking is Adam Elliott's role. And when Elliott went to 13, which was part of the way during the season, and he played that role for the rest of the year, and he was a little bit of a, a super coach smoky, and a lot of people loved jumping on him, is because Adam Elliott at 13 was playing high 50s in minutes. And he went on a bit of a tear doing that. You know, if he's, if Horsburgh is playing 57, 58 minutes and he was scoring 60 points per game at, at 50 minutes, he could easily go 65 plus as a player. And then all of a sudden, you've got an out and out gun that can almost contend with the top front row forward options. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm talking like way major ceiling, like at the very top of his ceiling. But he's always had this game where he's been a really good worker for a big fella. Um, even in, uh, 43 minutes game last year, he had a 40 raw base and he still had an 80 base attack. He's one of those guys in, in past years, he's had a really good offload, went away a little bit last year, but he's, those offloads and tackle breaks are there. So he's one of those guys that kind of excites me because you want one of these guys that gets a new opportunity where you could see what the guy's role was before and they're actually out of the team at a different club and you could see Corey Horsburgh's potential when you've seen him play before in extended minutes. That's why he's in my side, Andrew. I don't think it's much of a risk because, you know, he's priced at that 500K mark as a front rower that I'm going to plug in and be able to play most weeks. I, I kind of like it for depth and he's got the flexibility of the duel as well. 1% ownership says no one's jumping on him. I expect him to be named at 13 for round one. If he is, he'll be staying in my side. Mate, call me crazy, um, but I, I'm actually surprised that um, there was 1% ownership. Like, oh, I thought it would be, be a little bit closer to 5%, still in pod range. Um but as you said, like he's a solid um, DPP and if he's starting at 13 come Team List Tuesday, um, he seriously needs to be considered as a pod. And to be honest, I'd almost argue with the term big balls um, pod if he does start at 13, um, although some may disagree. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Adam Elliott too because I believe he'll be the one that benefits from the departure and the positional change. So um, 500K is actually quite reasonable for someone in this scenario. Um, and, mate, yeah, come Team List Tuesday, if he's on... If he's named at 13, then he'll be in my team too. Yeah, 100%. And there's been times in the past where he even got played around as an edgy, edge player. And I think that some people might look at some different numbers and be a bit scared off. But just remember, there was some years past where he actually got thrown on an edge and that affected his minutes quite a bit. Horsburgh, I really like as a pod, um, but these other guys are fallen guns and I don't like them very much at all. Josh Papali'i is getting old. He used <laughs> to be a really good option. Um, but now he's coming off a season which was his first season as a as a you know, set in stone starter where he actually averaged below 60 and, and fell off gun status, 59 points per game in 2022. And he did that playing 23 games, which was uh, really good considering the, the last couple of seasons he's had a few niggling injuries and stuff. But at his age, I, I don't really have any interest. Um, 617,600 coming off 58.7 points per game. He's still 3% owned. I don't really see him being able to bounce back. Um, he's in his 30s now. And when we're talking about guys that could benefit as a front row at the Raiders or as a middle forward at the Raiders from someone like Adam Elliott being out and um, some of the, the players that they've lost, 
I don't think it's going to be a Josh McPartley in his 30s. Notoriously, you always start slow. Notoriously, Ricky Stewart, like Tappany, always gives lower minutes too. So I think those minutes are going to go to the horse. I don't see Papa Lee getting back to his 60s averages. Um, he's already priced at 59. As a fallen gun that had a 42 base last year, I'd, I'd be just steering right clear. There's so many better options at front row forward. Yeah, and, I, and I'll keep this short as well. Like, I, I wouldn't consider Papali um, for the start of the season. And the only time I would consider Papali is at the back end of the season when his output kind of usually increases. Um, and, I mean, I'm not sure where his price tag will be at that stage. Um, and, and it would take a lot for me to consider him as well because at the back end of the season, you can obviously afford all the best players, which Papali won't be one. So I can't really see a time throughout the season where, where he'll actually benefit your side. So he's a he's a solid no from me. Other fallen gun for the Raiders is Jordan Rappiner. Rappiner comes in at 526100 we're going to talk about him a little bit more because he was going to be playing fullback at 1% ownership. He's just been suspended for two weeks. So we could cancel him <laughs> off the podcast to talk Brutal, about Brutal, hey. <laughs> uh, look, if he comes in as a fullback later on, he might hold some value after that buy. Um, certainly if he drops to sort of that 400 to 450 mark. Uh, I think he could have some value, though. We need to wait and see when Young Savage is going to be back as well because he could end up back on the wing. So, yeah, but he's gone now. Our mistake of this super coach team is not gone. He's definitely going to be playing, and that is Jack Whiten. So I've admitted a couple of years ago, I'm going to look at Jack Whiten for a run. I'm going to do it, and I did it, and I was reasonably happy with it. So I did it last year, and it was always... I compartmentalised the first month of the season. It's also when I thought the Cowboys were trash, by the way, because they played them away the second game of the year. And I sort of went, oh, you know, Sharks at home, <laughs> Cowboys away, trash, Titans away, trash, uh, Titans at home, sorry, and then um, Manly. Um, I didn't like the look of them either. So uh, I did that and it worked out fine. I ended up making um, my money. I got my scores out of him. He scored 73, 56, 62 and 70. Not as good as what I thought he could, but for the price tag of 400000 it worked out quite nicely. Fast forward a year, um, if you have a look at the average last year, he went off a cliff after that, as Jack Whiten does. 52 points per game, a little bit better than his 47 points per game in 2021. But he's one of these guys, Andrew, that I think, especially for Raiders fans, they're looking for a star because these Raiders sides, they're often filled with all these good players that work together as a really good team that Ricky Stewart puts together. They don't have these huge stars and, and people gravitate towards, you know, Jack Whiten. 3% of coaches have him at the moment. I actually still think that's 3% too many. 551,000 as a 5'8". You've got to consider that, that Burton's not Burton and Dewey are, are very similar price tags. Ponga is less than what Whiten is. You know, I I have to say that with this one, it is just a huge mistake and people should be looking at those other options. The other options are so good at that price range and available back up 5.8 spot. 3% sounds low. To me, it, it sounds too many for Jack Whiten, who I don't think will be able to beat his 52 average um, by very much to be any value at all. Yeah, I kind of saw that ownership and I, and I was, I don't know, I, I know 3% isn't that much, but obviously there is still quite a few coaches out there that have decided to run with him. But as, as you said, um, like with the Dewey and the Burtons and the, and the and now Pongers after today with the DPP, like um, what what would gravitate someone towards Whiten as a, as a viable option, a similar price tag? Um, honestly, I love Whiten as a footy player. Like he's unreal. Um, but unfortunately, in real times, his footy skills don't really translate to super coach points. Um, and 
I just can't really see the um, the viable choice to run with him for pretty much the option that you've just said. So yeah, there's not much more to say about him for the super coach. Yeah, if it's 400k again, like I, you know, maybe you can talk yourself into it a little bit more. But for sure, yeah, it's just the price point this year. He's starting five points more than what he was priced at for last season, and with a harder draw. And he, by the way, to finish off on him, he scored four tries last year. Two of the four I hit in the first four weeks. So you know that's what you that's what you try to do when you try to do runs. If a guy only scores four tries a year, get get the two of them in your month run, and you'll be right. You'll be able to make some money and some points. You're not going to get that again from him. So let's move along to the mids and the value cheapies. Uh, I'm really surprised that Smith Shields is only one percent owned. Um, so Harley Smith Shields is going to start. He's going to be named and. He's going to come in at 300,000 as a center wing. He's 1% owned. Now, 300,000 might sound like a lot, but really um, what we've seen from Harley Smith Shields, certainly in the lower grades, and he's meant to have been coming through oh, for years. And, and finally, we're going to get to see him. Seven games from him in 2021, he scored 48 points per game. Um, that, that was the only season where he's playing 80 minutes a game, and he did his knee and was gone for the year in 2022. That's a pretty good debut for someone to score 48 points a game in their first seven first-grade games. Um, he's someone who has been spruiked and maybe even getting a start at one um, now that Rapana is out. And if that happens, you know, it, it increases his value even more. But I, I actually think that he, he projects pretty well, um, particularly when you have a look at the draw. We say it's not great, but, you know, he does have some key matchups there. Round two against the Dolphins, round four versus the Knights. Where two out of the first four, you'd, you'd play a Harley Smith Shields. Round seven versus the Dragons, you'd play him in that game. And if you can get a couple of fullback games there, that's when you say, well, you know, instead of a Perham for 370,000, why don't I have a Smith Shields for a couple of games at fullback? And then we see how he goes with some try scoring. He's, uh, he's definitely better than a 1% option. I think probably what's hurting Smith Shields' case is when we're talking about the cheapies and the mid value guys for the Raiders is that we're all of a sudden got all these cheaper guys, Andrew, and it's just a case of not being able to fit him. Yeah, exactly right. And um, and he's a little bit more expensive. I, I, with um, with Smith Shields, I'm not really sure what's going on with um, Semi Velomai as well with the with the backs there. I'm not sure if he's actually um, on the cards as a viable option. or I mean, surely they'd pick Smith Shields over um, Velomai. But, um, yeah, he, he's certainly an option just to leave there. I mean, look, 300K really isn't that that much. I mean, in previous seasons, 300K would sound a bit much. Like, you, I remember when that was almost considered a mid-range player. Um, but, you know, he, he's an unreal player um, and he'll benefit from the Savage injury as well. Um, Savage is what meant to be due back maybe around round eight at this stage, I believe. Um, and um, and there are certainly some options, as you said, to play him over the opening eight weeks. Um, and he should generate a little bit of coin. He's a, he's a really quick player. Um, and mate, if he is named there on the wing or, or wherever in the, in the back line, um, come team this Tuesday, I think that 1% will grow a little bit. Not too much, but, but you know, still below the 5%, but he'll be in a few more coaches' teams for sure. Yeah, and obviously the danger is Rappenau could come in and play fullback instead. When round three hits and, and wrapping his back from his suspension, that could happen. But you know, you could, you know, maybe Smith Shields plays so well that he, he stays there and they keep keep wrapping her on the wing. That's that's an option as well. Another guy that's two hundred thirty four thousand when we're looking at forwards is Mooney. Uh, now Mooney is in five percent of teams, which kind of surprised me. Um, he's one of those guys that I like. I, I do like the look of him, but you know, we had one total game last year for ten points, and we haven't seen anything else. He's a He's a guy who, 
I think people are jumping on as a, a placeholder in their in their forward pack, but he's going to be on the bench. And I just don't think that he, he's exactly one of those guys where I've said it in so many podcasts with different people, Andrew. If you get a bench forward, it's it's almost super coach poison every time. And if if it isn't, it's a real slow burn. And I just don't think that you need to do it this year. So I'm I'm pretty against Mooney. Um, certainly, when you're looking at these other options that are probably started at a pretty cut price. Um, yeah, where are you on 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 Mooney? Because to me, he could also get dropped from that bench too at any point. Yeah, too much um, unreliability, mate. And um, as you said, a lot of bench forwards just simply burn you. And for me, it's simply a case of better options available in Supercoach. So he's a hard pass for me. Emre Gula, he's someone who's been coming through for a few years too. And he's in 1% of teams. He's only 342,700 as a front row forward though. So real mid-ranger here, coming off a 32.6 per game average. Uh, I, look, I think the thing with him is that we've been waiting for Gula. There was a bit of groundswell at the start of last season that he was going to get a heap more minutes. Um, 2020, when you look at his average, it was 48 a game of 42 minutes. And 2021, it was 47 a game of 43 minutes. His minutes dropped to 36 in 2022, and his average you know, went through the floor at 33 points per game. So I guess when you have a look at it, Andrew, you can see some value there. Potentially, you only know, need another seven minutes to go up even 14 points of value if you look at that 2020 to 2021 seasons. So it's 342,000. It could be a bit enticing. We obviously have the middle minutes on offer there because Elliot is gone. Um, we also have Ryan Sutton, who's now no longer a bench forward or the occasional starter. And Emre Gula's hitting his 25th birthday. So this is his time. He's been coming through for a number of years. It, it, is this the time that he gets more minutes? Because if he does, you know, he might even get as much as 48 minutes a game like he has in the past. And then all of a sudden, there is some value there at 342,000 as a front rower. Yeah, and I can't argue with you there, mate. Like, he's, he's simply a case of um, whether he's a beneficiary of, of Sutton and um, Adam Elliott's departures, which we won't really know for a couple of weeks. So as far as starting him um, in our teams, I don't really think he's an option unless you want to take that risk straight off the bat, unless you've got some inside um, knowledge that we don't know about. But um, for me, he's, he's immediately going to be on my watch list. Um, because he could be that beneficiary. And if he is, then um, he's someone that we can um, definitely consider um, for our, you know, round three or four sides when he starts making some coin. Yeah, and this is where it's good to have plans, everyone. So, you know, if you've got, I don't know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to use it as an example for price point, like a Matt Lodge is just starting front row forward and you're worried that maybe he's not going to get the minutes or the production, but you really want to give him a go. You really want to take him for a test drive. Try him out in the first couple of weeks if he goes badly. Someone like Agula, if he's getting bigger minutes, could be a really good downgrade to get you 150 to 200,000 and use that money to upgrade elsewhere where you've made a mistake. So he's one of those guys. He's on a short list uh, as a watch, like Andrew said, and a bit of a plan backup for me to maybe downgrade a front row forward if, if something goes amiss with some of my plans. Um, and he may very well be a guy that has some sneaky value uh, and he could very well have at least a dozen points of value um, if he just gets a little bit more minutes. We're going to finish on Tom Starling. And there isn't much to talk about here with Tom Starling other than to say he's one of the most frustrating players <laughs> in the history of the world. Um, I'm, I almost jumped on him so many times last year, and I'm so glad I didn't. 2020, he averaged 61 points a game, and then he went down to 39 points a game and 42 points per game last year. He only played 52 minutes a game in 2022, um, his BPM has been very up and down. He's a noted try scorer and attacking player from dummy half, yet 
in 24 games last year, he only scored two tries. Uh, his base was only 32. Some of his service was very questionable. I still question, though, why he just doesn't get the opportunity, Andrew. Um, Wolfred was preferred over him, but still didn't play the bulk of the minutes a lot of the time. So it was one of those hooker share scenarios. I, when when Team Picker opened, actually looked at it and went, oh, you know what, Tom Starlin's looking at me again. He's done it for four years. He's 443,000. Oh, I, I might start with Starling in the cheese. And then I looked at it and went, wow, all the projected teams still have him on the bench or still have Zach Wolford in the team. And now all of a sudden, the last few weeks, people are saying, actually, Danny Levi is going to either start or be on the bench, potentially. Yeah, it just seems like Ricky Stewart hates Tom Starling, but <laughs> until there is no hooker anywhere near that bench, you just have to stay away. But it could really be a super coach weapon if you could just get the starter for 80 minutes at 443,000. And I think this is where Levi becomes relevant. I mean, uh, I mentioned earlier that, and, and yourself, that he may not actually get a spot in the 17, but the fact that he's coming to the club and, and you've got Wolford there, who's likely to be the starting hooker, uh, that's that, that just brings so many red flags for Starling and given the history as well, where, you know, like his history with Ricky, um, the risk is just too high for Starling. And I'm with you. Like, I, I actually think he's a great player and he can bring benefits, but with that uncertainty, that's such a high element of risk. So um, I'll be steering clear. And even putting him on the watch list, unless he has a blinder against, um, you know, a run of teams, you, you would think... At, at any stage, Levi might enter the 17, which would be bad news for Starling. So the risk is too high for me. 100%. And that's going to wrap up the Raiders podcast. And it's going to wrap up part two of the Cowboys, Raiders, All-Stars podcast for this preseason. Andrew Scanlon, Cowboy, thanks very much for jumping on. I know points per minute hasn't been going the last couple of years, but you've still got your fans. You're still great to get on the podcast. So it's fantastic to chat Supercoach with you once again. Mate, really appreciate it. Always always a pleasure coming on the uh, All-Stars podcast. Have a ball. Cheers, mate. Awesome. Well, everyone that's listening, make sure you download, subscribe, listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. We are everywhere. Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. Jump on there and give us a follow. Also, share the podcast around. It's great to see all the new listeners coming on board. Absolutely fantastic. We're going to try and bust out the last few teams of this preseason preview series in the next few days. We'll get them out real quickly, so there'll be heaps of content. We're only a week away from TLT, so it's going to be a huge amount of news over the next week, I'm sure. I can't wait to chat more footy and Supercoach of their own again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.